Hi, Laura. How's it going? Hi, Leah. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Okay, I want to play something for you, and I want you to describe what you think it is. Okay, you ready? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now moving towards this bottom side of the map, maybe he's going to gank bot here. Kramer going to be knocked up as uh, follow-up is there. Juan Fong knocked up as... Okay, so basically it looks like people playing video games, but I don't totally get it. Like, there are people talking over it. They're definitely speaking with an Australian accent. Okay, that's the problem. It's Australian accents. They're also using words I don't recognize. Bottom lane. That snipe from Juan Fong to get the double kill. This concept is... Sounds like like a play-by-play <laughs> announcers describing the game. You're going to be in a much better spot as SOFM because you've got a quadrant of the map that you can look to invade on. Well, you're pretty much right about that. So they are video games and those are play-by-play announcers because this is a professional competitive video game, also known as eSports, which is short for electronic sports. Ah, yes, those newfangled electronic sports games. Yes, Grandpa. So <laughs> <laughs> these people you're seeing, they're, they're actually called eSports athletes. In fact, in 2018, Cal founded their own eSports program and built this fancy facility that houses more than a dozen competitive teams. But first, I think we should start by explaining what eSports even are. Okay, so we're not talking about Candy Crush or like Angry Birds or the other video games that people play for entertainment. Right. Think teams with rosters and players with specific roles and coaches and rankings and leagues and superstars and, you know, all the kinds of things that you would normally associate with traditional physical sports. And the world of esports is kind of a big deal. Spoiler, there is actual talk about making esports an Olympic sport and of bringing it into the fold of the NCAA, it's already nearly a billion dollar industry. So grab your headsets and buckle up because this episode is about esports and how they have turned video game enthusiasts into varsity athletes and why universities like Berkeley are getting in on the action. This is The Edge, a podcast produced by California Magazine and the Cal Alumni Association. Where we'll talk to some students who play for Cal, an administrator who helps run the program, and a pro team owner, and also address the question of whether esports should be considered a sport. I'm your host, Laura Smith. And I'm your other host, Leah Worthington. This episode is sponsored by Home Chef. Golden Bears received $35 off their first box using promo code CAA35 at homechef.com. That's $35 off your first box using promo code CAA35 at homechef.com. Okay, Leah, so how did eSports get so legit? Like, how did they come to Cal? Well, I'm glad you asked. It all began about 50 years ago. Oh, so I'm like really behind the times. Yeah, as usual. So the first video game competition took place at Stanford way back in 1972. The game was called Space War. Okay, but why are you shouting? No, that's the name of the game. It was called Space War with an exclamation point. (laughs) And it was basically a battle between two spaceships in outer space. Okay, now I get it. Space war. You get it. I get it. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't mean to interrupt your history of esports, but I just kind of feel like I know where this is going. Well, I prepared this whole spiel. 
let me just take a stab at this. So I'm guessing that after Space War, there comes like Donkey Kong and Pac-Man and more people get into playing video games and then the games get more and more fancy and more people play and then they get more fancy and back and forth until we have billions of people and billions of dollars and play-by-play announcers and colleges and eventually someone decides that they should be called eSports. Yeah, that's pretty much it. (laughs) <laughs> so why'd I do all the work? Because <laughs> you love Googling. Yeah, that's true. But let's talk about now. So how do we get to this point where Cal and other schools are building esports facilities? Well, it didn't come out of nowhere. So if you rewind like five years to 2016, when UC Irvine built this multi-million dollar esports arena, their Overwatch and League of Legends teams were like powerhouses, basically the best in the country. And UCI even started offering scholarships for student gamers. Meanwhile, Berkeley had just this little club team. That's very David and Goliath, I like it. Yes, totally. But in 2018, Cal opened a center of its own. It wasn't as big, but it was enough to help boost their own esports teams and give them a shot at competing with UCI and the other you know, major esports schools around the country. So in terms of how it actually works, are there like intercollegiate competitions and rankings and such? Yeah, it's a bit complicated and I'm not sure I 100% understand it, but the gist is that there are a few college level leagues around the country. They each have their own conferences and tournaments, and Cal is part of the CSL Esports, which is the largest league in North America, and Cal is currently ranked third in the top competing universities in that league. Woo, bronze, not bad. Not bad at all. So this Cal Esports thing, it's really happening. Cal Esports players, or should we call them athletes? Excuse me? (laughs) I think they call themselves gamers. Okay, so Cal Gamers have this awesome facility and tournament victories and all the legitimacy that comes with that. But I want to know what drew them to getting involved in this. It's just magnetic. You know, you're drawn to it because it's it's so sexy. It's so, there's so much glory to be had. That's Vincent Kahayan, the president of a club called Gaming at Berkeley. We're kind of the partner club of Cal Esports on campus, and I also manage the Valorant and Counter-Strike teams for Cal Esports as well. And here's another Cal Esports player, Lauren Tang. I'm a third-year data science major, and I play Overwatch for the UC Berkeley team. Briefly, for those who might not know, Counter-Strike, Valorant, and Overwatch are what are called multiplayer first-person shooter games, which you might hear abbreviated as FPS. So Overwatch, the one we're going to talk about, is one of the more complex games, but that's part of what makes it so interesting. The way it works, basically, is you have two opposing teams, one playing offensive, the other playing defensive, each with six players who work together to compete objectives like capturing the other team's flag, or moving a payload through checkpoints without getting caught. And each player is assigned a different character, also known as a hero, with unique abilities. So you might be, for example, Genji, a Japanese cyborg ninja, or Ashe, an American gunslinger and the leader of the Deadlock Gang, aka a bunch of arms trafficking outlaws based in Arizona. And these heroes are basically moving around and interacting in this really intricately designed, often beautiful digital world, also known as the game Map. And in non-COVID times, casual and competitive gamers meet up in the Cal Esports Center after class to practice. I do see the Counter-Strike team there pretty frequently. Like they, they have like this little table of five. So, and because there's five people on a team, it makes sense for them to all like play at that one table and they all have their jerseys on and everything. And they're talking very intently. It's something that's honestly pretty cool to watch. 
Wait, you have jerseys? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's really cool. As total gaming noobs, Leah and I wanted to see some of the action for ourselves. So Lauren showed us what Overwatch is actually like. Oh my god. What is this? So what is this? Overwatch is known for like having a lot of really weird characters. <laughs> so he's literally playing like a giant monkey. That's that's what he is right now. He has a big machine gun and he's shooting lasers at all these little creatures. And honestly, it's very chaotic. There's a lot of moving around and all these little creatures are popping up and he's shooting them and there's like a force field and... Mm -hmm. And like this is what makes Overwatch so difficult to follow is that there's like the, the maps are big, there's a lot of aerial movement, there's like different speeds for various characters, lots of leaping and jumping while others are entirely stationary. It's it's a lot to follow for sure. Coming up. Cyber, don't get caught. Oh, we don't, I see a so many flashing lights and like <laughs> I might be car sick. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely, like, there's an epilepsy warning for this game, for sure. <laughs> Vincent, do you play this game? Like, is this making sense to you? I played played this game, past tense, and uh, very casually, and yeah, no, this is, uh, it's like reading hi hieroglyphs, you know? I don't understand what's <laughs> happening at all. <laughs> okay, that makes me feel a little better. Huh? Wait for me! Objective lost. New defense point. Well, yeah, the thing that I'm trying to wrap my head around is the sport in esports. Like, are video games sports? I'll admit that there's a part of me that thinks that sports should involve, like, people physically moving around and trying to achieve some kind of objective IRL. And that maybe the term athlete should be reserved for people performing very physical feats. By the way, I looked it up and athlete is a real term. I knew it. But I still think gamer is the proper nomenclature. Okay, fine. So, yes, let's talk about these traditional notions of sports and athletes. Since you like history, I thought you might be interested to know that the word athlete originally comes from the Greek athlon, like decathlon or triathlon, athlon meaning prize, and from athlane, I think that's how you say it, which means to compete for a prize. So for what it's worth, there was never any official stipulation that athletics be especially physical per se. But I hear your skepticism, and I'm here to tell you you're not alone. There is a lot of debate around how to classify esports. So here's what the student athletes themselves have to say. I definitely would consider gaming to be a sport, particularly if it's uh, so team involved. And the amount of like work and practice that goes into it definitely qualifies it as a high stakes, rigorous event especially like with competitions and everything. Those are so stressful and require a lot of management and practice, for sure. Yeah, I 100% agree. Uh, after seeing some of the people on my team, you know, play for like eight to 10 hours a day so they can get better because they have an upcoming competition or they have an important game coming up against the school they want to beat, the level of dedication, I, I don't think you can uh, downplay. 
I think now's probably a good time to introduce Kevin Chu, who was Berkeley's 2019 Alum of the Year, and he's also been working in gaming for the past 15 years and is the owner of a professional Overwatch team, Soul Dynasty, and he says there's a lot of teamwork involved. It requires really working together and really understanding your role, but also how you work as a team to overcome whatever strategy the other team is employing. Some of the marquee games like League of Legends or Overwatch, just like in a game of uh, football or soccer or basketball, they have different roles like the offensive team or defensive team. Absolutely, the teamwork at these games at the highest levels is much more important than the individual skill. I mean, obviously the players individually are incredibly talented, but what sets the greatest teams apart, just like in traditional sports, is the teamwork. And players practice for like hours every day. Uh, it's, it's definitely mentally exhausting. I just walk away from the scrims feeling like my brain is melting. It's a lot to handle. <laughs> so despite the fact that the game is played sitting down, clearly esports is mentally exhausting. And... I don't know, I guess I'm sort of running out of reasons why it wouldn't be considered a sport. I mean, like, if real-life shooting is a sport, why not virtual shooting, I guess? Okay, but couldn't we say the same about chess, and we don't consider chess a sport? (laughs) Well, actually, according to the International Olympic Committee, chess is a sport. And there's even a movement among chess players to bring it to the Olympics, which is to say that our understanding of what constitutes a sport is shifting as we speak and becoming more inclusive of gaming in both the real and the digital world. And get this, a lot of high-level esports athletes actually have like their own physical trainers. What? For their thumbs? Yeah, kind of. Here's what Kevin had to say. So, you know, most professional esports teams now have just like a football, you know, staff would have physical trainers. Uh, there's physical trainers now for esports, and they generally help with two things. One is nutrition, so making sure that the athlete is eating properly to make sure that their mental and physical state is at peak performance for an upcoming tournament. What you eat affects your ability to process and and make millisecond, you know, split decision. And so there are exercises as well as actual physical training and regiments that the top you know, players in the world now go through because they realize that it extends their career. By the time you're playing your 10th hour you know, that day, that's not really helping you. What is helpful is to spend a schedule that's more like six hours a day you know, playing the game and then spending uh, a couple more hours focused on your physical training and your mental state. So can gamers like get injured? Like, do they get eye strain or carpal tunnel syndrome maybe? Yeah, carpal tunnel and back pain are pretty common, I hear. And then, of course, there's the dreaded gamer's thumb, which is pretty self-explanatory. But um, recently, actually, there was a 25-year-old professional Call of Duty player who went by Zuma, who announced that he's retiring because of a thumb injury. 25! Like, (laughs) I don't know, it sounds silly, but his whole career rested in his thumb. Okay, so I'm starting to warm up to the idea that this could be a sport. Yeah, me too. And there's another big reason why Berkeley might want to add esports to their athletic roster. So let's hear what Kirk Robles has to say. He's the Associate Director of Business Development for the Division of Student Affairs, and he also oversees the Cal Esports Program. I think that's also why esports is very attractive. I want to say it provides kind of an even playing field for everyone. I think and also it's an interesting opportunity. You can't name many uh, sports 
that you could play with a like male or female teammate. And so that's a, it's a really interesting opportunity. It's really kind of sense of opening to be able to compete with everyone. And that's something that Kevin, our alum of the year, talks about too. You're not everyone's going to be seven feet tall or have enough body weight to play football, etc. So I think these types of sports that are intellectual pursuits, primarily what is happening is at the cerebral level in terms of how these athletes compete. Okay, so I hadn't really considered that before. For students who join like the baseball team or the volleyball team, there are all these great benefits. But those traditional sports can be really exclusive and limited to certain bodies. So by giving esports legitimacy with funding and a facility and all of that, Cal is really opening up the team and competition experience to a much wider pool of students, potentially. Right, potentially, because we shouldn't make it sound like it's some kind of perfectly inclusive gaming Eden. Um, You know, all genders can play and it's definitely accessible to differently abled bodies, but gaming has had trouble attracting women. And for those who do join, they haven't always found it to be a welcoming place. Like right now, I'm the only girl on the D1 team, but Overwatch is interesting in that like League of Legends, it has a lot like larger of a female player base than other games. I started off with Counter-Strike and I noticed that in like one out of 20 games, I would find another female player on my team. Whereas with Overwatch, it's like one in five. So still pretty small either way. Mm-hmm. I think like esports in general, like the gaming scene is not necessarily welcoming to women. So then what is it like to be one of few women gaming at this level? Uh, there is the occasional gamer who... Like when they hear my voice, because Overwatch is a game that where the voice chat in the game is very important because it's so fast paced. When they hear my voice, they're like, oh, it's a woman. And then they either start like trash talking me or they actively throw my game. I've had that happen a few times, but other times people are pretty cool about it and they just don't care. People trash talk you? I mean, it's awful that I even have to like talk about it so casually, but it's definitely something that happens. I don't, I'm not sure exactly what fosters that sort of attitude. Does it feel just like old-fashioned sexism? Like, why are you here? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's this one character uh, called Mercy who is typically very easy to play because she doesn't technically require, like, a lot of aim and or skill. And she's a really good character for, like, new players to learn. The stigma is that, like, a lot of women are Mercy players. So I definitely have encountered a lot of male teammates who say, oh, go back to Mercy. What are you doing on this hero that actually requires, like, a lot of skill? And I'm like, I'm doing better than you are, so... It is a very, very male-dominated field. Um, Even so, our teams are actually 90-95% male. That's Kirk again, who oversees Cal's esports. He and others have recognized the problem and are taking action. Why we created the Cal Women Gaming Program is to continue to build more relationships with our women gamers who, who are interested in just being in that field. They wanted to create a safe space to continue to foster that sense of community and give women gamers who are often kind of ostracized and kind of pushed aside and not really given a comfortable area to compete in games, a way for them to connect with students at Cal. I've been thinking, college is supposed to be about preparing students for the next phase of life, right? For the real world. And at this point, it seems obvious to me that esports have the potential to do that. But 
beyond the college level, there's a whole professional industry with teams and international competitions. And I guess I'm curious to know whether that's something that students like Lauren and Vincent are thinking of getting involved in post-graduation. Do you both hope to work in gaming? Like, do you see pursuing this like in a career later? For me, absolutely. As a data science major, I think there's definitely a lot of opportunities like in game development or esports analytics. There's like a whole world of applications out there within the gaming industry, for sure. For me, it's more like a a maybe. Uh, I'm a political science and ethnic studies major, so I haven't really been able to decide between gaming or politics or focusing on ethnic studies or whatnot. But uh, I'm just trying to do the best to keep my options open and uh, see what what gets you paid. That makes sense. Jobs should pay you. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. (laughs) So there are actual career prospects in this industry, even outside of gaming itself. And like you said, Leah, college is supposed to prepare students for their future. So it seems like another good reason for Cal to make this investment. Some percentage of the Cal student body or in the esports body, you know, may go on and become professionals. You know, a lot of esport professionals they find high paying tech jobs, right, within the gaming industry. So for example, if somebody's a top 100 player in League of Legends, that person I guarantee is going to get interviews at a number of different uh, you know, gaming companies that are looking to hire young talent. And I think filling in the collegiate level is a really important part of the ecosystem. And, you know, there's, there's college football players that go off and become the next, you know, Aaron Rodgers or Marshawn Lynch and make, you know, have an, an amazing career at the highest level and, you know, make tens of millions of dollars. That's happening in esports. They're the, the top paid esport athletes in the world are making four or five million dollars a year at this point. And so... And this is happening, you know, at a global level, uh, not just in the U.S. And I think it's going to be a potential real career path for the best collegiate players to go off and, and have a, a potential career, whether it's being a player on a, on a pro team and, and signing contracts that are worth millions of dollars, to being coaches, to being analysts, to being casters and commentators uh, at, at the professional leagues. That's going to be amazing. It's worth mentioning that some professional gamers can make millions of dollars a year from streaming alone. In other words, they get famous just because other people like to watch them play. And I looked it up, and as of 2019, PewDiePie, one of the most famous gamers, has somewhere around 105 million followers, and he makes about $58.2 million per year which, let me break it down for you, that's $4.8 million per month or (laughs) $160,000 per day. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we can overstate it. This is a huge industry. Like, so Activision Blizzard, which is the company that owns leagues like Overwatch and Call of Duty, they're valued at a similar price to Starbucks. And they're not the only ones. Like a lot of these gaming companies have actually benefited from the pandemic since people haven't been able to go, you know, watch live football. And actually revenue from esports is starting to rival that of traditional sports, like for example, wrestling. Oh, wow. Okay. So clearly collegiate esports have outgrown their status as just another campus club. But the question is, what's it growing into? 
Yeah, exactly. What you're hitting on is this sort of existential debate around the future of amateur esports. And currently they're not part of the NCAA, and there's actually no umbrella organization or governing body that oversees college gaming whatsoever. But Kevin thinks there may be some benefit to the legitimacy that comes with, say, NCAA status. There's a lot of value to obviously having a some sort of nationwide organization that helps to promote the visibility, promote, kind of validate esports in some ways. If that happens at the NCAA, uh, I think that would be a very positive for the industry. Legitimacy is very important because I think, you know, for a student to invest a significant amount of their time into an endeavor like this, you're having organized tournaments and understanding kind of how that fits into the hierarchy of, of tournaments is really important, right? Whether it's the Olympics for sports like you know swimming and, and others that that become validation at the very highest level, or the NBA or NFL or some other um, you know organized sport for you know for soccer or basketball, etc. You know, there's kind of a career path for the very best of the best. And Cal is, of course, an incredible university that um, consistently sends athletes to the Olympics, sends athletes to the NFL, NBA, et cetera. And so I think it's a huge validation to say that there is this, this is an officially recognized sport. That said, there are some benefits to being independent. For example, students are free to take prize money if they win and otherwise profit off their athletic success, which isn't currently allowed by the NCAA. Although that may soon be changing, as writer Brian Schatz wrote in a fascinating piece for us last year called College Athletes Could Soon Cash In, we'll share the link in our show notes if you want to read it. The TLDR is that recently Governor Newsom signed a bill allowing college athletes to make money from their name, image, and likeness. Yeah, so in a lot of ways, it's still very much an unresolved issue, this question of NCAA status. But one thing's for sure, esports are big enough for the big leagues. I watched like the League of Legends World Championships recently sometime in November with my friends, and I don't think I've seen any other sporting event quite that big. Not even the Super Bowl. I know that the Super Bowl does not get as many viewers as League of Legends live streams like for the championships. It's incredible. So I think that um, in terms of just pure viewership, there is definitely potential for esports to have a place in really big events such as the Olympics. Okay, so I guess we'll see where things go, but for now, all we know is that esports are here to stay. And will probably become more legitimate with time and fancier and fancier, as you predicted at the beginning. They want the win so bad, they've been working for months and months on end. Just like that, the perfect stall from Slurpee Thief, UC Berkeley, are your Overwatch, Tesla Collegiate Series Grand Champions. This is The Edge, brought to you by California Magazine and the Cal Alumni Association. I'm Laura Smith. And I'm Leah Worthington. This episode was produced by Kobe McDonald with support from Pat Joseph and Maddie Weinberg. Special thanks to Lauren Tang, Vincent Kahayan, Kirk Robles, and Kevin Chu. Original music by Mowgli Morial. Space War! Pew, pew, pew!